I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka's Sounds of Science. This week, we are talking with Antti Normi about the scientific benefits and economic realities of open science. The concept of open science is only about as old as the scientific method itself. For many generations, alchemists and other early researchers jealously hoarded their discoveries, recording them only in complex codes or symbols they invented for themselves. And for thousands of years, Western science was communicated only in Latin, adding an extra barrier between the scientific elite and the simply curious. It wasn't really until the 1600s that a dialogue about open science began in Europe, after the publication of philosopher Francis Bacon's Novum Organum. Bacon believed that scientists at all levels should share their research in plain language, creating a sort of proto-database of findings that could be read and understood by anyone who wanted to contribute. So much for history. Nowadays, how can we reconcile the need for sustainable profit in some areas of research like medicine with the Baconian ideal of open science? To explore this question, I am here today with Auntie Normi. Welcome, Auntie. Thank you, Mary. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. So can you tell me about your title and some of the work you do for Charles River? Yes, I'm the Managing Director for Charles River Discovery Services, located here in Kuopio, Finland. Uh, we work with the diseases of the central nervous system, but we also work with the diseases with a rarer origin, diseases like Huntington's disease and Batten's disease. Can you describe your ideal scientific world if we lived in a Star Trek future with no economic considerations at all? Sure. So in, in my opinion, first, in ideal world of science, the science would be driven by curiosity to understand the underlying world and phenomena within it. There is still so much to study and learn. In ideal world, uh, there would n not be any pressure to produce always data or information that can be harnessed for technology or medicine, uh, but rather support broad and diverse science touching all aspects of life, nature, humans, and also universe itself. Furthermore, there is a room for availability of open, neutral, and negative data or research data and information that does not result immediately something meaningful for us as humans. So knowledge for knowledge's sake, pure science. Yes, because if, if you think about science in general, some of the greatest inventions people have actually learned by accident <laughs> and by doing a lot of repeated trials and errors. So it's not just a path that you, when you work diligently and you work very rigorously towards something all of a sudden you come across with some sort of an invention. It's, it's sometimes just pure accident or coincidence that you come up with these great pieces of knowledge. So while we are so focused on trying to apply the knowledge and the science, we are kind of missing the point that, that there's still so much underlying things that we need to understand before we get there or we have the means to tackle some of the uh, more complex stuff. Right, and when it comes to being a real scientist in the real world, I guess we do kind of lose sight of how valuable failure can be and how disproving your theory is just as important as proving your theory. Exactly. Well, speaking of being back here in reality, are there some areas of CNS where we can find open science being applied? 
Well, open science in neuroscience is not really a widely spread concept, although there are, as the, with the Human Genome Project, for example, there are some efforts already towards mapping the brain and sharing this information with everyone. One of the issues, what I believe is affecting the failure rates in finding these cures for human brain diseases is that we do not really understand well enough human biology while we are already working on treatments to cure those diseases. So uh, from CNS disease perspective, we often tend to look at individual components of the human disease and try to fix them separately, hoping that it would cure the disease. However, we already know very well that whole human body with its uh, physiology, biology, including our genes and how we live our life is, is pretty poorly mapped out still. Yeah, if there's more pure research about the central nervous system as a whole, you're saying that could contribute to helping cure diseases. Yeah, so my kind of rule of thumb here is that you need to learn first the basics in order to do more complex mm -hmm. stuff. So there's a lot of things that we don't understand from ourselves as human beings. I mean, the whole, let's say, lifespan of the human life and the diseases that occur during the life, how they contribute the environment where we live in and so on. Speaking still in the realm of reality, are there particular diseases or other research areas for CNS that could benefit from an open science approach like rare diseases? Yeah, so also what is considered to be advantage of the rare disease is, uh, is the more direct reason for the disease. These features, at least in theory, uh, mm -hmm. limit the number of factors contributing to the disease. And therefore, it is thought that by correcting malfunctioning gene uh, could help reversing the cause of the disease. So in, in rare diseases, of course, it may be conceivable also to think that, okay, you have a one defected gene that results in disease. That's not fully the whole story, but still that when we identify or correct these genes in, in preclinical research, at least, and there are already some successes in clinical cases when treating with these gene defects or malfunctioning enzymes has a truly beneficial effect also in the patients. I understand that the failure rate for CNS drugs is pretty high. How could open science help in some specific ways? I think that there is already some kind of an initiative for, for example, for clinical data registries that are built on the concept of open science. But there are also some academic efforts, like there's the Neuro at McGill University in, in Canada, which is the kind of a first open source research institute in the world that has almost like a 10-year mission to follow certain principles. And those principles are fairly simple, but I like them. First, they say that they have to share scientific data and resources. So all positive and negative data, data sources, reagents, software, and so on, are basically mm -hmm. available for anyone. They also have to have open external research partnerships, meaning that all data and scientific resources generated by these partners, academics, industry, and so on, they basically follow the same principles. So everything is shared. What is also important is that while all this is shared, they also need to protect very closely and carefully also the patient information, meaning that patients need to be having also the same access to the data that has been generated by, let's say, scientific research groups, but their patient confidentiality and rights are also protected at the same time. 
Mm-hmm. One part what is also highlighted within the Neuro or this Open Source Institute is that they do not file patents. So it's not allowed to file patents. This institute cannot basically uh, obtain patent or protection or data protection. Yeah. And then, of course, the final part is that, that the institute respects the academic autonomy, which I think that is also very important, so that there's not really a mechanism that directs the research going into particular direction. And these research groups are, in that sense, supposed to be autonomous. So another example I understand is the Open DIPG initiative. So DIPG stands for Diffuse Intrinsic Pontine Glioma, which is basically a children's uh, cancer or brain cancer. And this is initiative was set through Children's Tumor Tissue Consortium, which goal is to unravel the molecular characteristics of these gliomas, integrate this data that has been obtained, and, and then unify the uh, DIPG initiative or consortia's expertise, which of course includes scientists, clinicians, and, and so on. And this is really to centralize disease-specific efforts with clinical translation in mind, so from clinical practice and patient perspective. Mm -hmm. And um, since the cause of the pediatric brain tumors, like gliomas, is often remains uh, unknown, the goal is really to share this genetic sequencing and molecular profiling data with anyone who wants to have the access to that. So we know that basically the three biggest contributors to science are academic, government, and corporate. So how could they work together to use open science for everyone's benefit? I believe that everything comes down to the dialogue between all the stakeholders. So trust, openness, and ability to think and work towards for the benefit of overall good and well-being of human species is something we as humans should agree with. This would require all stakeholders to feel safe and feel that while they are giving, they are also receiving something for their benefit. And in rare diseases, I think that there could be a lot of value from open science if we would see more of it. In rare diseases where the patient populations are relatively small and patient data would be easier to gather and control, it would be a good platform for open science. However, it would require setting up such an open science resource platform network or similar where globally researchers would be openly and willingly sharing their findings and learning from others. I think quicker step forward would be to share the disease biology and disease mechanism data, which is more on the basic science side. Ideally, this resource would be available to all stakeholders, academics, companies, patients, and and then, of course, foundations as well. So what are some of the drawbacks for open science in the real world? I think the biggest drawback with open science would be the difficulty to ensure that scientific advances, inventions and recognition would go to those who really achieve them. So the recognition goes to where it should go. And then, uh, this is probably also the, one of the reasons why stakeholders may have reservations in sharing openly their data as there is a chance that somebody may get some advantage from it academically or commercially. Mm-hmm. While the academic research is highly competitive and each research group needs to fight for their grants and funding, it may lead to protectionism easily. 
And similarly, in business world, businesses want to protect their inventions. However, I see that I see as an opposite drawback from open science that if we do not share the, all the data, positive and negative, we will have publication and science bias. Especially in publications, there's already now bias to report significant, usually positive findings, while negative and neutral findings may be omitted or not even published. However, this shouldn't be the case, and we should appreciate the negative and conflicting findings as a powerful resource, which could in turn reduce the number of unnecessary or already performed experimental designs, uh, making science more efficient. Given all of that, can you describe a system where data could be collected and shared while maintaining corporate exclusivity and patient privacy and giving credit where credit's due? Well, this is a big question, and there's not really a good answer to that. I believe if a good idea for this would have been already proposed, I think we would have already heard about it or known about it. However, I think times will change over time, and we eventually come into understanding that it is something what we need to do to gain progress together so that we consider this more to be as a collective effort that we have to do as a group of individuals, regardless where we come from. However, forcing anyone to do something is not a good idea. So I think we need to come into a realization that is just something what we need to do in the future. But Mm -hmm. short answer to that, I really don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't either, but hopefully they will figure it out in the future. Yeah, but it's a good and very important question, but I don't think that there is a good answer for that. Well, thank you so much for joining us and having this conversation. I think it's really important and I think that it should be talked about more. Otherwise, we'll never get a solution. Yes, I I, I truly think so. I want to thank you also for this opportunity to discuss about the open science matters. Well, thank you for being here with me on Eureka Sounds of Science. Thank you very much, Mary. Pleasure. (laughs)